So this morning, I want to uh, talk about uh, a passage in Scripture because oftentimes God is portrayed as a father in heaven, and he is. But he also is given the characteristics of a mother, which is very interesting. And, and the passage we're going to look at today kind of gives that idea that, that God is, is portrayed in Scripture not only as a father, but he also is portrayed as a mother in a sense. Now, maybe you have had a difficult time and, and maybe you've gone through a diff- Maybe you're in the middle of it right now. You say, well, I don't have to picture it. I'm in the middle of it right now. And you wonder, does God really care? Does God really understand what I'm going through? Is he really concerned with my situation? And you may think, well, you know, the universe is big and the world is getting bigger as far as population. There's more things to remember and our world's much more complicated. And even God must go, who are you and why would he care? Because I'm just the little peon on the planet and why would he care? Well, in our passage this weekend, we're going to see how God does care indeed. And not only does he care, but he knows us and he will never forget us. We're going to be in the book of Isaiah, and let me give you a little context because there is a lot of context to understand the prophet and the time when he wrote. So Isaiah is uh, one of the most quoted books in all of the New Testament. Isaiah was an Old Testament prophet. Uh, He's called a major prophet. The difference between the major and the minor prophets is simply this. The major prophets had bigger books. They were longer. So Isaiah is called a major prophet, and he... uh, He ministered during the stormy period of the expansion of the Assyrian Empire. And around 745, somewhere around there, B.C. Now at that time, uh, it was shortly after, you know, the, the nation of Israel was a united kingdom under David, King David and King Solomon. And then after King Solomon, uh, the nation of Israel divided into two sections. It had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom had ten tribes, and uh, the southern and it was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah, and it had two tribes. And the north, and, and Isaiah uh, ministered during the period where the Assyrian armies were attacking the northern kingdom. Now, the northern kingdom was not; it didn't do real well. It had nineteen kings, and every one of them was evil. Every one of them. They didn't have a good king among them. And you say, well, that sounds like America. No, I don't know that. I mean, I I don't believe that. You said it, not me. (laughs) And so Isaiah basically was warning the northern kingdom, but he was also warning the southern kingdom saying, you know, there's going to be a time where you're going to go into captivity, but there's also going to be a future leader who's going to bring you back, allow you to come back into the land. And so Isaiah's kind of not only ministering to the people before him that are wondering, where is God in all of this? Though they weren't really giving him the time of day as God. Uh, but he's also telling them about the future. That there's another kingdom, it's called Babylon, and, and they're going to rise to power. And then there's going to be a King Cyrus who is going to come, and he's going to give you freedom to come back into the land. And that those all took place. But in the midst of the book of Isaiah he begins to develop this character, this person that's going to come. He's a servant. And it very many times in a, in, a, in a number of the passages, you'll see this servant. And one minute he's like a king. And people are bowing down to him. And he's powerful and he's ruling. The next minute he's suffering. 
He's going through trials. He's going through tribulations. And it's sometimes these are they're mixed in the same passage. So you say, well, who is this? Is it the nation of Israel? Many in Israel believe that. It's just speaking of the nation of Israel and their turmoil. We, I believe, that it's speaking of a coming Messiah. That what Isaiah is doing, he's describing this coming deliverer. And, and there's a number of deliverers through the history of Israel, but he's the ultimate. He's the final deliverer. He's the final Savior. He's the final Messiah. And, and so that's what Isaiah is describing. But he says something very interesting about this future Messiah, this future deliverer. He says, not only will he deliver the nation of Israel, but he will deliver everyone. All nations. And he says this in uh, Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. So this is where I want you to, if you have a Bible, pull it out. In the chair in the seat in front of you, there are Bibles. And if you go to page 556, you'll see this. The reason I ask you to do that is because I want you to see what the Word of God says. I don't want you to hear just kind of my interpretation of it or me making reference to it. I think some of these verses are up on the screen, but it's better if you just look through them. And then you could see where I butcher names and stuff like that and make fun of me afterwards when you take mom out for dinner. But Isaiah, yes, I'm in one of those moods today. I'm sorry, I can't help myself. (laughs) Isaiah 49, 6, page 556, and it says this. Notice what he says. He says, you will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles. And you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. So we see this Messiah is going to come and not just bring salvation to the Jews, but he's going to bring it to the Gentiles. And that's a good thing because I'm a Gentile. Okay? And it's, I've asked, had people come up to me and ask me, so what's a Gentile? And a Gentile is anyone who's not a Jew. Okay? So if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. And so that's good for you because that means the Savior will come for you, for you too. Um, um, and then he says, so he says, he says, I, I am going to do this. And, and so here's what's going on. The people are saying, okay, you're saying that, Isaiah, but I don't see any evidence of it. Why, why should I believe that God even cares about me when we have the Assyrians on our doorstep, when we're in jeopardy, when we, it seems like God is far away? Why should we believe that? And the point I want you to see, and this is this will come in the passage, that God cares more about us than a mother for her nursing child. So jump down to verse 7. Verse 7. And I want to read a, a rather lengthy passage. The Lord, the Redeemer, and the Holy One of Israel says to the one who is despised and rejected by the nations, to the one who is the servant of the rulers... Notice what he says here. This is where we see the servant, this Messiah, the one who's rejected, right? He's the one who is uh, despised. But what does he say about him? He says, kings will stand at your at attention when you pass by. Princes will also bow low because of the Lord, the faithful one, the holy one of Israel, who has chosen you. This is what is this is what the Lord says at the right time I will respond to you on the day of salvation I will help you I will protect you and give you give you to the people as my covenant with them through you I will establish the land of Israel and assign it to its own people again I will say to the prisoners come out in freedom and those in darkness come into the light 
They will be my sheep, grazing in green pastures and on hills that were previously bare. They will neither hunger nor thirst. The searing sun will not reach them anymore, for the Lord in his mercy will lead them. He will lead them beside cool waters, and I will make my mountains into level paths for them. The highways will be raised above the valleys. See, my people will return from far away from lands to the north and the west and as far south uh, as, and from as far south as Egypt. Sing for joy, O heavens. Rejoice, O earth. Burst into song, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted His people and will have compassion on them in their suffering. Now, this is good news, right? It seems like anybody who has heard this says, that's great news. It's wonderful to hear. I'm so happy to hear that. But look at the response of the people. Verse 14, yet Jerusalem says, the Lord has deserted deserted us. The Lord has forgotten us. Have you ever felt that way? We have promises. We have promise after promise after promise that God is with us, that He loves us, that He cares for us. But, we, but, we, but when times get tough, we often say, God, where, where are you? You've left me. You deserted me. What are you doing? And maybe you felt that way. You felt like uh, things were going wrong in your life and He's nowhere to be found. How can we be assured that God won't forget us, that God cares, that God is with us? How can we be assured of that? Notice what he says in verse 15. So the question is, uh, Jerusalem responds to Isaiah and says, The Lord has deserted us. The Lord has forgotten us. And the response is, Never, never can a mother forget her nursing child. Can she feel no love for a child that she has born? But even if that were possible, I would never forget you. See, I have written your name on the palms of my hands. Always in my mind is a picture of Jerusalem's walls in ruin. Let's talk about that for a minute. Why will God never forget you? Because God's love always remembers us. He says a nursing mother never forgets her child. Uh, and, And for two reasons, really. Number one, there's a a little thing called a baby. And when you are nursing a baby, when you're going through the nursing process of of raising a child, the child will let you know they're hungry. (laughs) And they're not silent about that. They're not like raising their hand and saying, a moment please. It's They're crying. They're fussy. They're hungry, right? And generally, as I recall, it was a while ago, I five, we have five boys. There were a number of things that we had to check. Diapers, hungry, you know, what is causing you to cry? And babies cry when they need help, when they need nourishment. And so you'll never forget because babies cry. Mothers never forget. Secondly... If you have a nursing mother and she has to nurse physiologically, her body requires her to do that or she gets very uncomfortable. And so, in a sense, she is reminded not only because of a baby, but because of her own body that she has something to take care of, this person to take care of. So for a healthy mother who loves her baby, it's really impossible for her to forget her baby, her child. And, but, but he goes on to say, but even if she could, even if a mother could forget, I will never forget. 
So what, what, the, what, the, what God is doing here, the picture of a mother nursing a child, is He's giving the one picture that, that you would say, well, this could never happen, but even if it did, I would never forget. I will never forget. And then He talks about the walls of the city. Now, the walls of the city, for some of you may say, well, I don't understand what he's saying there. Well, essentially what he's talking about here is when when the nation of Babylon came in and took the southern kingdom into captivity, and Daniel was one of the young men that they were taken into captivity, they destroyed everything. The walls were knocked down. Everything was destroyed. It was looted. The city was looted and left in ruins. In fact, it was so bad that when uh, under Ezra and Nehemiah, when they were allowed under Cyrus's decree to come back into the, the, the promised land, back into Jerusalem, the first thing they did is they rebuilt the walls. And, and the joke was, if you read through the, those books uh, of Ezra and Nehemiah, as you read through those books, the joke was that the people outside, as they were rebuilding the walls, they said, those walls are so weak that if a fox ran on them, they would cave in. In a sense, what, what God is saying here is, I see your walls that they're just in ruins. I see that. And the city of Jerusalem, which represented my people, is in ruins. It's busted up. It's broken. And it breaks my heart every time I remember it. That's his point. The same is true for us. You ask, has God forgotten me? Well, can a, can a nursing mother forget her child? Can God forget that the walls of Jerusalem lay in ruin, were laying in ruin? The answer is no. He will never forget you. He never forgets us. But not only that, He never forgets us because God's love has actively delivered us. And he writes this phrase in there in the whole in that passage we read. He says, I have written your name on the palms of my hand. I have written your names on the palm of my hands. And you say, Well, what does that mean? Well, it's interesting because the Hebrew word for written there is the idea of engraving. It's the idea of taking a spike and 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 engraving into stone. That's what it can be used as. So it, it, to, to say that it leaves a mark on a piece of stone is, would be an understatement. It's, it's a pretty significant event. It's not just like, oh, I just put a little mark on it. It's a pretty, pretty big mark. It's, it's significant. You know, the New Testament speaks of someone who came and their hands were marked. They weren't just marked, they were engraved. They weren't just engraved, but they were nailed. Spikes went right through them, and they went into a cross. They went into a tree. First Peter puts it this way, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree. The tree is a euphemism for the cross. So He Himself bore our sin, uh, sins uh, in His body on the, on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. You see, I think Isaiah's talking about a picture not only that God carries the, 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 the wounds, but we, that Jesus can, carries the wounds. I believe that still to this day that he has spike marks on his hands. These engravings remind him of us and remind us of him. You know, some of you have scars on your body, don't you? I mean, you, you, you would say if uh, you have a scar and somebody notices it, they say, well, what happened? No. <laughs> What happened there? 
And then you have a story behind that. Generally, most of us have a story. Well, that was where this happened and this happened. And, you know, when you have scars, usually it wasn't a good event. You know, like if you have like a, a big scar here and, and stitch marks, you say, what happened there? Oh, that was when I was in a bar fight. You know, okay, you know, that, you know, that, oh, that happened in prison or that happened when my motorcycle went down and I took like all my flesh off here or something like that. Generally, those aren't like, oh, yeah, funny story there. No, it's never usually a funny story. Usually is something not good has happened there, right? Do you remember what the first thing, one of the first things that Jesus did after he had resurrected from the grave? The disciples were meeting together and there was this guy named Thomas. And Thomas said, you know, I know what you guys are saying. I really want to believe it. But unless I see proof, unless I see evidence, I'm not believing. I'm not going to trust. I'm not going to believe it. Jesus shows up. And he says, Thomas, do you want to see the marks? Here they are. Go, go ahead, touch them. Look at the marks. See, he bore the marks. And he bore the engravings. And even when Thomas doubted, the spike marks were there. It's one thing to say that you love someone. It's totally another thing to demonstrate that love. The Bible says this in Romans 5.8. It says, God demonstrates His own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus Christ died on a cross. The soldier stretched His arms out and He put spikes through His hands. They engraved His hands to the cross. And when you get to heaven, and I hope you will one day, there's only one person because all your scars will be gone. We're going to have new resurrected bodies and our knees and our hips are going to be better. A lot better. <laughs> and uh, we're not going to have any more scars. But there's one person that will be in heaven that will have scars and it will be Jesus. Because they're a reminder, I never forget you. I carry this as a constant reminder of who you are. I'll never forget you because can a mother ever forget her child? She's nursing. No. Can I forget the walls that are laying around? No, I can't. And I have marks. I have marks. You know, there was a time when, uh, and this is Mother's Day, so I think it's a fit story as we get ready to do uh, baby dedications. There was a time when uh, Jesus was uh, teaching or doing something and a lot of the little children came to sit with Jesus. And uh, the disciples were quick to say, no, 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 you know, get the children out of here. You know, we're doing business. We're doing God's business here. And it doesn't say that. I'm kind of playing with it a little bit, all right? So give me a little leeway here. But the children come up, and Jesus says, no, no, no. He says, let the little children come unto me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to those such as these. So the question is, okay, so that's good to know. What is it that these children have that we need? Because the kingdom of heaven belongs to them, right? All right, so it's not theology. Because if you've ever let, listened to a little kid talk about God and talk about Jesus, their theology is all messed up. Totally. It's like 
just like it's a cult. If kid, little kids could get together and write theology, it would be cultic. It would be just off the wall wrong. And Disney's not helping a whole bunch with that. Okay? But so Jesus isn't saying, you belong in heaven because you have such good, solid theology. You, your beliefs in me are so right on, you know, rock solid. No, that's not it. What children have is trust. They trust. Now, we live in a world where we're telling our children, aren't we? We're telling our children, stranger danger, danger, right? We're saying, you trust too much. You need to be careful who you trust. You need to, you need to run them through a grid. You need to run from them, you know. And essentially what Jesus is saying is, the children come to me and they just trust me. Now, here's the problem we have as adults. We get cynical. We get cold. We get independent. We get too big for our own britches. And we think we're not so bad. We don't need so much help. We'll figure it out. We, you know, there's a whole bunch of things. And Jesus basically is saying the same thing to us that he said to his disciples that day. And as he was affirming the children, he's saying, when you come to me, And you say, help. I mean, think about it with your children. Um, Sometimes your children uh, will say, Mommy, I need help. Mommy, I need help. Sometimes they'll say, uh, you you see they're struggling, you say, let me help you. And they say, no, I'll do it myself. And you're going, no, that's not going to happen. You're going to wait until they get to, they're going to come to this place. Some of you have teens and kids in their 20s that are doing that right now and it's breaking your heart open, isn't it? Because you're saying, let me help you. Would you see it? Let me give you some wisdom. Let me come alongside you. And they say, no, I'll do it myself. And you go, this is, this is unraveling. And you're waiting for them to say, help. Help. And what Jesus was saying is really important for everyone else to hear. The reason he got off of his throne and the reason he came to earth and the reason he was willing to nail himself to the cross was so that we would say, I'm in trouble, I need help. I need help. And Jesus is basically saying, will you trust me? Or are you going to try to do it on your own? If you try to do it on your own, you'll never get there. Man will never reach up to heaven. That's why heaven reached down to man. And Jesus Christ came as a rescue party of what? And the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I hope that if you've heard anything this morning, you've heard this. The heaven is placed for people who know they need help. And they call upon a Savior. And they just say, Jesus, I need your help. And I realize that you invested your whole life. You, you have marks to prove it. You'll never forget me. You no longer, you no more forget me than a mother who has a nursing child will forget that child. You no more forget me than you would when the walls of Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, were in ruins. And it broke your heart every time you saw them. You no more forget me than if you look at your hands and you see that they have marks on them. I am always before you. I am always before you. Jesus says, if you wonder if I love you, Don't wonder anymore. I do.
So have you called upon the Lord or are you trying to do it yourself? Are you coming to Jesus by faith or are you just saying, I, Jesus is good, He's a great teacher, but let's not go crazy here. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you done that? I hope so. I hope so. Let's pray. So, Father, help us because uh, it's easy for us to become independent. It's easy for us to become jaded, hard-hearted. It's easy for us to uh, try to do it ourselves. This is one try-to-do-it-ourselves job that we cannot possibly do. That's why you sent your son Jesus as a Savior. That's why Jesus willingly went to the cross, was nailed there, carries the marks. Father, we should never doubt your love because you've given us some powerful pictures that you don't forget that you do love us, that you've invested so much. So thank you for that, Father. We take great hope and encouragement knowing that you never forget us and that you'll always love us. And we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.